Good morning. My name is Jay. If you're new to Cultivate and haven't uh, met me, I'd love to be able to meet you afterwards. Um, this is Caesar Kalinowski. Uh, he was helping to lead uh, the conference yesterday for the GCM Collective called a one-day conference. Many of our group leaders were at that conference, kind of getting invested by Caesar and Seth McBee. And uh, Caesar graciously uh, came to the, the invitation to, to come this morning and to be with us. Uh, he is the national director of the GCM Collective Gospel Communities on Mission. And we, as a uh, Cultivate are part of the local collective here in South Jersey that are helping one another, a bunch of different churches together uh, to entertain the idea of what would it look like to saturate South Jersey with the gospel through these kinds of gospel communities that are living on mission to a particular context and people, demonstrating what it looks like to be the people of God empowered by the gospel and the spirit of God. So uh, he's here this morning. Can you guys give him a great welcome? And, uh, um, I'm grateful to be here with you. Uh, I know a little bit about your community, and it feels, uh, from what I've heard at least, very much like home, that we have the same heartbeat and ethos. And I'm going to guess in some ways what we're going to talk about today is not going to be brand new thought, um, but it is something that is so critical to our faith and our walk and, and our identity that it's um, something that in our communities... We go over all the time. We go over it and over it and over it. And uh, maybe perhaps I can bring a new fresh perspective or at least by God's spirit a reminder to some of this. Now the way the world works so often is we do to be. Right? We do and that equals who we are. The things in life that we participate in, give ourselves to, give our energy to, the things we perform at in the world's eyes equal who we are. So the sports we participate in, the job we particularly take, the family that we try to cultivate, the, you know, education we go after, huh? Yeah, thanks, yeah. I, I got that as soon as I said it. I was like, yeah, pun, right away. And, uh, and, and, and I want to suggest to you that do to be is really a lie. Because what we do doesn't make who we are, right? We know that. But the world says this, and we've actually all bought into it at varying degrees. Do to be, it's a lie. And the truth is, what we do has everything to do with who we are. Really, it's out of our identity that we act. Our being leads to doing. So I love the be the church. Is it still up there? Yeah. It, that's the reality. We, we either are the church or we're not. But to be the church is really a big deal. Truth is that it, what we do is a reflection of who we are, really, in our heart. And, but to, to be the church is a big deal. And I grew up going to church. Many of us, do you remember all the years of going to church? That's a huge theological statement if we say we go to church. Hey, you know, this Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving what are you doing? I'm going to family. I'm going to be with the family, you know. And, and it, so it is a big deal. And even bigger than that, being the church is a cosmic kind of transformation that's occurred in, in the planet. It didn't exist for many, many eons of human existence. And... This do-to-be lie gets flipped and changed, and it's some of the biggest part of being a Christian, and that's why it's a big deal to go over it and, and be reminded of it. In Christ, this human condition of trying to create our own identity and a self apart from God, sort of for my own pleasure and glory, right, is sort of done away with. It, it, in Christ, we're actually told what you do has nothing to do with who you are. 
what's been done on our behalf has everything to do with who you are. What Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, his doing has everything to do with your being now. And that was actually a historical human shift because from the garden forward, as we'll see, humans have been trying to create an identity apart from God by what they do, right? But in Christ, it's all changed because of what he's done. We are actually given a new identity. And that's, that's, I mean, that's like our essence has actually changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so a Christian, right? He's a new creation. She's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Anybody ever heard that verse? Okay. Let that soak in just a, just a little bit you know, deeper. If anyone's in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Do you feel like a new creation? Some days. Some parts, right? But I mean, that's, like, that's not a like, hey, if you're in Christ, you're becoming a new creation. It doesn't say that. The old is gone. What's left? Something new. Something that was given to us. Something that has become ours because it's His. That, that's not just sort of theoretical. But I, I know most of my life I kind of took that as like, oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I should try to act differently. Like, that's, you shouldn't do that. Like, when I, when I really got saved, okay, like, I don't know when that is exactly because it's sort of, it's, I'm being saved, but I grew up going to church and I said the Jesus in my heart prayer a million times. But when I really, the dime really dropped was when I was about 25. I already had a, a son, my wife and I, had our firstborn. And in holding that miracle, God sort of showed me, like, you really suck, and you don't know what you're doing, and you need a new you. Like, there's a newness that needs to occur here, bro. And um, when that really happened, um, I remember thinking, like, oh, well, i got to quit doing a bunch of stuff so I can be a Christian. See, see, right away, my experience in the world sort of started to inform my faith in Christianity, though I had probably read this verse or heard this by then, I'm sure, I grew up in church. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I took it theoretically. I did not take it literally as if something happened. I still sort of put it on myself to make it happen. That's called works. That's dead. That leads to death. That leads to a life of, like, ick. <laughs> That's not salvation. Salvation isn't you go out and try harder to be more like Jesus. Good luck. I mean, I really mean it. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like sucks. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> see, the truth is we have been transformed. We've been transformed. And our new identity in Christ is true of us. It's true of you, even if you don't believe it or didn't know it. How about that? This, this identity that we've been given in Christ is yours. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you did some new stuff or quit doing some old stuff. It's true of you regardless, even if you didn't know it or don't fully believe it. It's kind of like this. Imagine when you were uh, born, you had an uncle thrice removed, I love that word, um, like you don't even know this uncle is my point, and when you were born though, he heard of your birth, and so to be an awesome uncle, he put on deposit for you a billion dollars into an annuity, okay, this is a true story, happened in my life, no it's not, <laughs> um, 
But it was like, this is, this is a story. Come on, follow me. Billion dollar annuity. But on the way back from depositing this billion dollar annuity, he dies in a wreck and it's a fiery crash and all the papers are burned up and no one knows he did this but him. And so, but meanwhile, you are growing up and you're living your life and you're beginning to make choices based on your identity and your resources and who you think you are. And meanwhile, this annuity is just growing away, this billion-dollar annuity. And so around the age of maybe like my age, really older, you, know, um, you find out, you've kind of raised your kids already like I have, you find out that in fact your whole entire life you were incredibly wealthy. You just didn't know it. And now it's worth like a zillion dollars because it's just been, you know, accruing. And you think back, you find out, oh my gosh, you know, you've already raised your kids, your house is paid off, you, you know, you're not, you know, you don't really great need like you did in the earlier years. And you're like, oh my gosh. And your mind flashes over all the choices and all the heartaches and decisions you made because you didn't know of the great wealth you had. You know, you kind of fudged on some business deals. You maybe cheated on the taxes a little bit. You never really tithed that much, to be honest with you, unless the pastor was watching because you wanted to try to create an identity that looked like you were generous, but not really, you know. And all, and all these things, and you're, you know, like this flood past your screen of your memory and you go like, wow, if I'd only known what was true, I would have lived a very different life. Right? I'm, I want to just, if, if you get nothing else today, let me just tell you, you've been transformed. If you're in Christ, if you've put your hope and faith in His forgiveness for your sin, and His Spirit has come to dwell in you, you're new, it's true of you even if you just took it cursory, like I did for so many years. Your inheritance of this new identity is beyond you, and it is amazing. Humanity, like a new humanity happened when Christ died on the cross and said, this is now true of those who trust me. You're mine, you're me, and we were given a new identity. And here's where it comes from. You probably have all heard this before, and maybe it didn't, didn't sink in. But at your baptism, if you've been baptized or ever heard anyone being baptized, you were baptized, right? Jesus says, go and make disciples. That's the mission baptizing him, it's all one sort of part of the mission. Go make disciples of mine. Teach people to follow in my ways, to live like I lived. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. Now that is a huge identity statement there. He didn't say, baptize them you know, as Father, Son, and Spirit or something. Or as, he says, into the name of. When you hear name, like what's your last name, it's part of your identity, who I am. I'm a Kalinowski. It's a big deal. You all wish you were Kalinowskis, trust me. <laughs> it's freaking awesome to be part of Team K, as we call it. Right? It's my family's crest. That's how big a deal it is, all right? Anyway, our last name, whose name we are, has a big, for some of us, we go like, yeah, and I couldn't wait to change mine, or my family kind of wasn't great. And so this is an identity statement into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. So as disciples, that's who we are, right? You're a disciple of Jesus if you're in Christ. It's not an optional thing. It's not like, oh, by the way, now that your sins have been forgiven, just kind of wait for heaven and try not to sin as much in between. It's like, no, you're now a follower of Jesus. You're, you're taking on this new identity. And this new identity comes from the name of the Father, the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, why, why? What's the big deal there? Big deal there is because what what Jesus is telling his disciples, telling us, is 
When you started this new life, you got a new identity into the name of the Father. If we're all, we all have the same daddy now, Abba, right? We all have the same dad in heaven. We're all dearly loved sons and daughters. What does that make us collectively? Family, right? Do you really, I mean, think about that. You are now, this is part of your identity. What am I doing there? Can I just close my eyes? We're all part of the family of God. Oh my gosh, what's the implication of that? God's our daddy? Oh my goodness. So that story of a grand inheritance would even seem small now. <laughs> because this dad, our dad, owns it all. And he says, no, it's yours. Whatever I have is yours. Really? Do we live like God's our daddy? I mean, we should be the most radically crazy, freakishly generous people on the planet. And secure, like, come on, dad's going to cover this. He's God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay? So, and then in this kingdom, right, because the gospel is the good news of the kingdom, in the kingdom, this is our God. He's a Trinitarian God, Father, Son. Jesus is king, right? Well, there's two minimum requirements for a kingdom to exist, a king and his servants, <laughs> Right? And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came as one who serves. And as I've been sent, so I send you. We're servants by our new identity right now. This is who we are. We don't serve because we're supposed to or because we have to. We serve because we've been so radically served by, by our Father via His Son. I mean, there's just, I mean, there's no greater love, right, than someone would lay their life down for us. And yet He has. Willingly. Jesus did not hang on the cross and go, you know, I'm up here because of you guys. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't be having to do this if you didn't sin so much. You know? <laughs> he did it because He loves us and He wanted to see His Father's glory manifest and shown. And so, if, if, our, if, our, if our King is a servant and we're His, we're his you know, subjects, that, that's who we are. That's our identity. We're servants. Not by doing. It's our identity. We serve because we're servants. Okay? And then, who was the sending agent of Christ? Who empowered Him in His ministry? Holy Spirit. You see it all through, you see it all through the Gospels and Acts. That Jesus was sent and moved and performed His miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus then again said, As I was sent, so I send you to His disciples. And He breathed on Him and said, Now receive the Spirit. Whoa just like it fell on him. So, so what's the, the, the English term for that? Sent ones, we call missionaries. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Missionaries. Sent ones are missionaries. Um, it's part of our identity. It's not a choice. If you're in Christ, this is true of you. Now, some of you may not live like it at all. Some of you may be radically living like it. It's true of you regardless. And here's some really good news. God loves us exactly the same, regardless of how much we understood this, understand this when you leave today, or live it out. It's yours. It's an inheritance. It's your birthright. I love you the same. Just like my kids. They're Kalinowskis. They are that lucky. <laughs> they are blessed. They get to be. I love them the same. Some of them are smarter than the others. Some of them, you know, they're all beautiful. I love them the same. Go be wonderful or don't. I love you the same. And I have hopes and dreams and desires that you would live out of your identity, but I love you the same regardless. 
I love you the same. And I don't miss this, because I can tend to teach with a bit of a prophetic edge, and I get pretty stoked about this stuff. So it could seem like, oh man, I've got to go do this, because Caesar said we're supposed to. No, we get to, but you're loved the same regardless. That's the good news of the gospel. Because we're loved through the lens of the Father sees the Son and His glory and His righteousness, and it's ours. That's part of our inheritance now. Okay? So let's talk about this. What is a missionary? How about for you guys growing up? And we're in a Baptist church building. So, so legitimately, we have something downstairs called the narthex. Right? You know, some of you don't even know what that word is. Lobby, for you younger folks. The lobby, the foyer. But I don't know. What do you guys call it here? What's it called? Huh? It's called under construction. <laughs> when I grew up as a kid, going to church, okay? Ooh, great theology for family. Thanks. But when we would go to that building, kind of looked just like this, blonde brick, the pointy thing on the top. Um, in the narthex, in the lobby, there was a picture of the a map of the world with pins stuck in it, okay? And then to each corresponding pin flanking the big map of the world were eight by ten photographs of people that were connected to like Paraguay and places we couldn't pronounce and you know all these things. And I remember asking my mom, because my dad didn't go to church with us, right? He wasn't the church. And uh, I would go, Mom, who are those people? And she'd go, those are our missionaries. Kind of a little slight echo came with it. It was kind of cool. <laughs> missionaries. <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were all dressed in, in kind of outdated clothing, and they kind of looked <laughs> sort of sad, to be honest with you. you know? like, I remember thinking, like, yeah, it sucks to be them. And, um, but every once in a while, one of the missionaries would show up and they would have them up front, and they would, they would have that slide deck thing that would go around with slides that they had carted from the field, because that's where they live, apparently. As a kid, you're trying to process this. Missionaries are from the field. And now in my mind, I'm thinking, we've got a field out behind our house. They live something like that? They live out back of our house? Oh, I don't know. And they would show us pictures of usually little, you know, little African kids with flies in their eyes and stuff. And we'd be like, oh, my goodness. And they would pass an offering basket like, twice <laughs> to make sure for them, special offering that day. And those were the missionaries. And they never told us ever, ever, never that we're a missionary. It's part of our identity. It's an inheritance. It's a birthright. And if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And it's really a matter of going, who are you on mission to? Who are you called to make disciples of? They never said that. Now, if, we'd, if you'd have asked them that, they would have said, oh, yeah, sure, we're all missionaries. But it, I don't know. They never, they never happened to mention it. I want to tell you, it's our birthright, it's our identity. We get to be missionaries. We are missionaries, okay? So, now, this mission of making disciples can't be lost. Don't let that be lost on you. The mission is not go out and serve people and do nice things and look like the Red Cross. The mission is not the community garden. The mission is not the food bank. Those are awesome acts of service that display what God is like and His glory. But the mission is one thing and one thing forever. And that's what? Make disciples. Right. Make disciples and then teach them to walk in the ways of Jesus and baptize them into a new identity. Pass on the family inheritance to people. Make sure they know. That's why it was such a big deal. 
Go make disciples and baptize them into this new identity. Don't let them live 30 years of Christianity sitting in rows, in silence mostly, week to week, not knowing who they really are. I don't want them to miss this inheritance. So baptize them into a new identity right away. Let them know. Now, oddly enough, too, check this. Who is commanded to do the baptizing? We are. It doesn't say, hey, when someone becomes a Christian and they feel comfortable enough with it, many years later, we'll go ahead and dunk them. No, we're commanded to dunk you all. (laughs) So I've had these conversations with people like, hey, bro, you're starting to walk in the ways of Jesus and starting to understand your new identity. I'm baptizing you this week. It's not your choice. I'm going to be obedient to the command. So bring your shorts. We're getting in. You know, like <laughs> Puget Sound. <laughs> it's going to be awesome in August. You know, so this is true. So this Trinitarian identity is ours. We're all. It's true of all of us. Okay. Now, um, this comes out as a big deal too, out throughout all the epistles. Uh, the epistles of the, of the letters that Paul wrote back to the churches. So he's out on his missionary journey, making disciples for making disciples. And as he would hear of things going wrong in Corinth or in Ephesus, right, or you know wherever, Paul wrote these letters, these epistles, back to the church to sort of as correctives. Now what's really interesting about the epistles, and you can go do this study on your own, as Paul writes back about wacky stuff, oh, for instance, like in Corinth, that dudes are sleeping with their stepmoms and, you know, they're not taking communion right because they're, th- they're treating it like it's a, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet. And, and you, know, it's, you know, so um, he writes back, Paul rarely, if ever, when addressing their sin and distortions of the community, he rarely, if ever, says, stop doing that. He says, why are you doing that when this is true of you? And he reminds them of their identity. Right? Why are you doing that when this is true of Christ and now true of you and you are now one? You see, he's always reminding them of their true identity. And he's saying, don't believe the do-to-be lie. Live out of your new identity. While you're all super mesmerized by that. I'm just going to wait while you watch a window being closed. It's so awesome. So, Okay. No, not Okay. Now, let me, let, me, let me go back in the story. This isn't a new idea. This is actually not something that God made up with the early church and said to Jesus, oh, you know what we can do? This was how God is. This is who he always was. We have a missionary God. Think back to the very beginning of the story. We're, we're, uh, we're in the Garden of Eden. God is there. He's walking in the day. I'm walking in the cool of the day in the garden, it says, with Adam and Eve who were created in His image to be like Him. Well, that's key. Don't miss that. Created in my image to be like me. God's walking with them. And as soon as the humans decide to try to create an identity apart from God, I can manage knowledge of good and evil on my own. God had warned them, hey, the day you eat of that fruit, when you try eating of that, when you try to manage good and evil, right and wrong for yourself, well, it will kill you. But they did. They chose that. And in fact, we all have. We've all chosen. We think we can manage good and evil, right and wrong, for ourselves better than God. So we choose a new identity, i.e. God over me. But what happens as soon as they do, as soon as the very first humans make that very first choice of a new identity apart from God, God says, where are you? 
Where are you? It says right in Genesis. And he goes looking for Adam and Eve. He immediately goes on a missionary journey to go and find and rescue. And then he starts to question them. And it's like he's after their identity. Right? He's after their identity. Now, same sort of thing. We see God on a missionary journey going, seeking to make right. We see the same thing with Cain, right? Cain kills his brother and God goes looking for him and says God finds him. He starts asking him questions. We see God go and engage Noah. The whole world is now jacked and God pursues Noah. Noah doesn't come to God. God goes to Noah and gives him a plan to save him and his family and us. We wouldn't be here this morning if Noah hadn't been pursued by God and then obedient to that, right? And then we see with God, he establishes this covenant with a special family. And he says, if you'll, if you'll be <laughs> a certain way, you will be my family. You'll be my covenant people set apart to show the world what I'm like, my glory, my identity. And then, of course, we know Israel rebels against God. They go like, nah, we got it. We got it. This law thing not working for us. You is our human. God, we want a human king. You is our king. Not so great, you know. And what does God do? God goes on a journey again. He presses in and he says, set up a tabernacle so I can live amongst the people I love. And God just presses back in into the center of his people to be with them. To sort of incarnate, right? To, to be and then we see the then we see the, the history anyway. And then we see God go on the greatest missionary journey of all time when he comes in, in the form of Christ, when he comes as Christ, and he takes on the flesh of humans, he puts on the, the sandals and the scratchy robe, grows out the beard. Can you imagine the angels watching? There he is, he's going. He said he was going, he's going down. Today's the day he's going, he's gonna go as a baby. Look at this, you know. And he goes on a missionary rescue journey for all of us. See, this is God's heart. All through Scripture, he goes and he pursues and he takes on the surroundings of you know what's going on so that he can go and restore identity. He goes as a missionary. Remember we said our identity doesn't come from anything we do. It comes from who God is, that Trinitarian identity. God's a missionary God. Just like we say God is loving, God is kind, God is generous, all the attributes of God, you could say God is a missionary. That's why we are. It's not a new category. It is for humans, but it wasn't for God. That's who we are now. Now, you ever wonder this? Why did Jesus not just proclaim the good news and all this stuff about how God wanted us to be? Why didn't he just proclaim it from heaven really loudly? <laughs> hey, everybody down there, quit screwing around. <laughs> you know? Like, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who you were created in the image of? Why did he... Why didn't he just do that? Why did he have to come? What do you think? Okay, awesome. Because he's a God of relationship. Absolutely. What else? Why else? Why did he come and pursue versus just announcing it? Yeah. Great. Love it. Other reasons why he came and took on the flesh. Incarnate, right? That's the... Okay. Absolutely. Wasn't some exclusive club. Right? Yeah? Yep, that too. Yeah. See, Jesus came and he actually embodied and enfleshed how his Father and the Spirit had always been. Right? It, it was like, what? 
is going on here. This God that is always pursued has now taken on our form, our flesh, and encased that same spirit, and he now dwells amongst us, according to John. And then look what else it says in John. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so now Jesus sends us to be his body, to enflesh his spirit. There used to be the Spirit of God enfleshed by one human called Jesus. And now, and that was the missionary God with flesh on, now that same Spirit, remember he said, as I've been sent, so I send you, and he breathed his Spirit unto them. And then Pentecost, and they really, right, the Spirit comes and dwells. Now, the body that's around the Spirit is mine, is yours, is ours collectively. Literally, not figuratively, actually. Just like Jesus had a body that could be pierced and killed and beaten, His Spirit now has a body that can be pierced and killed and beaten, except for it's all of us make it up. And so now when He says, you'll do greater things than I did, this is part of what He's talking about. You will be so decentralized and sent, like my Father was, into every neighborhood, in every township, in every little crook and crack and crevice of the world now. And that is more awesome. Why? For the same reasons He came. To show, to display, to carry the burdens and sins of people, to shoulder the choices they've made, to tell them about the new identity that's really the original identity, God's identity that's theirs all along. That is a very high privilege and calling. I mean, don't take this there again theoretically. The flesh, the incarnation of Christ that was around Him is now us. We are His body. We are the missionary element. There's no plan B, by the way. God doesn't have another church stashed on the planet somewhere, like on the bench, waiting to come in and pick it up, you know, pick up the ball. We are that body. We are His missionary people now. By our very identity, by our birthright. Um, let me ask you, let's just talk this out a little bit. What are some of the ways that you are incarnating individually, but more, more specifically as a community, incarnating Jesus amongst those who don't know him yet here in, in your city, in the cities and townships you live in? What are some of the ways that you're incarnating him right now? You're enfleshing the spirit amongst those who don't. What are some ways? Extending grace to others? Uh-huh. So far, everything you've put, I would put on the really awesome list. Okay, what else? Okay, wow, like he did, right? Other ways you're enfleshing the Spirit of God, you're incarnating amongst people. How about this? How about you can't help but incarnate and enflesh His Spirit now? So everywhere you are, you are, in fact, carting His Spirit along with you. See, we tend to think of it with these cool things like when we show grace or when we serve people. Even when you're like me and you're impatient and sort of hopping lines at the grocery store and kind of about me and jerky to people and not that nice to my wife and kids sometimes, I'm still his body. I still am incarnating him, just not very accurately. Now, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Which means, see, we're always on mission. We're always incarnating now, right? We're always enfleshing the Spirit now. It doesn't come and go. It's not like you go like, well, I'm going to have a bad day today. I'm going to hang the Holy Spirit up on the hook by the door. Maybe when I get home, I'll, 
Or on Sundays when I'm mostly incarnating, you know, or when we're doing the food pantry, I'm mostly in fleshing the Spirit then. It's true of you. I really want this to sink in beyond the theoretical. You've been transformed. You don't really have a choice in the matter. If you're in Christ, this is now who you are. So everywhere you go, you're always on mission. The difference is a gospel intentionality. Do you, do you bring with it the renewing of the mind? See, when Paul says we need the renewing of the mind in all things, take every thought captive, this is what he's talking about. He's not going like, don't think about sinful stuff, don't think about sinful stuff. He's saying, no, the renewing of the mind is believe what's true of you now and capture every thought so that you make the most of every situation. That's what he said, right? The days are short and the days are evil. Like, make the most of it. So when you're at the grocery store, when you're serving, when you're showing grace, when you're at work, when you're with your kids, when people are seeing your community in action, just loving and arguing and forgiving and sharing and meeting needs, all of it can have a gospel intentionality to it where you go like, man, we want to display the glory of God. We want to route His resources like just generously, crazily to other people. We are always in fleshing. We are always on mission because that's who we are. We're missionaries. The President of the United States doesn't go like, day off, I'm not the President. He's the President, man. Like it or not, President on the golf course, President on Air Force One, President on the, you know, the thing, what's the podium when he's doing the address, President in the Oval Office. He is the President. You are the body of Christ. You are missionaries now. You have the Spirit of God in you 24-7. You do. It's who you are. Believe it. Believe it. Second Corinthians 5, 17, 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, right? It was all, all of this is from God. There again, has nothing to do with you. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're the body now. We are the flesh that incarnates around the Spirit. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against Him. And He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though, I love this, as though God were making His appeal through us. <laughs> I love the rhetoric. As though, as if, <laughs> He is. There's no plan B. God's not going to go like, out of the way, church. You kind of suck in the last couple decades here. Like, here we go. Announcement from heaven. You know, No. He's making his appeal. He's displaying what he's like through us. That brings great conviction to me. Because I go, some days and not so much. Some days I think I am about displaying my glory. And I'm on my plan sort of most of the time between Sundays. Well, now I get this thing called missional community on Tuesday night. No. This is who we are. There's great implications if we believe our identity, isn't it? If this is really true of us and we get to do it together, pressure's off. And it's empowered by God's own spirit, Christ himself. Wow. Then what do we have to fear? And what would I really want to put my time and energy and effort into when this great inheritance is mine? Why would I live like it's not? There again, we're loved the same. But why would I choose to not live out of who I am? Why would I not do in light of being this, being a missionary, being God's now body on this planet. You know, we're all, some of you were at the conference yesterday, I kind of shared this analogy, we're all full-time 
paid staff. You know that? Some people think, well, yeah, if I was vocational or if I was, uh, you know what? That has nothing to do with it. Is it okay if dad routes your care and salaries and writes your paycheck on whatever bank account he chooses? Like, does it have to come from a church for you to consider yourself full-time staff? I mean, how goofy is that, really? You know, like God's going to go, what? You know? Like, it, God said, I'll meet, I'll meet your needs. You're mine. I'm looking around. Everybody's clothed today. No one's sitting here naked. Awesome. Good on you, Cole, today. Wearing clothes and all. <laughs> if you slept sheltered last night, and if you have eaten in the last 24 hours, then God has made, you know, he's kept his end of the bargain. Full-time staff, you're paid. Okay? And regardless if you are on staff at Cultivate or not, that's, those are just different roles within the family. You're, you're covered. I mean, it's, it's like the person that goes, you know, to work every day and like say they work for DuPont or something and they, they, they go like, you wouldn't even believe it. I go there. I'm set up. I have an office. People come and talk to me all day. Pretty like we're doing work and stuff. And then I got a computer. And it's like I'm building relationships like crazy because I'm a missionary. It's just who I am. And then I get paid because <laughs> that's how Dad decided to route my care for me and my family. But it's his. I don't know. It's not mine. You see what I mean? It's like that's who we are. And you need to see yourselves that. Whatever your situation is, mom at home, dad at home, working, retired, in school and getting ready for college. It, ah, that's just Those are just opportunities that the sovereign God places you in so that you have a context with which to make disciples in. And then drag them back into the family so that the whole body can bring, you know, bring to bear that. So let me ask you this in closing. What are the contexts? Who are the people in specific places you're making disciples of? You're being a missionary to. If this is all true of us, then that needs to take its place on ground, just like it did with Jesus. Have you identified those things yet? Who are the people in the specific context that you're making disciples of? Don't just be willy-nilly about it, like, woo, yeah, I'm a missionary now, so I'm a missionary to nobody, you know? No, we're sent to somebody. Like, even Jesus was sent to the lost of Israel. That was pretty much his people group that he went after. But he said it's for everybody, and he sent them to make disciples of all nations. But he spent his time almost exclusively with Jews. Who's that for you? Who's that for your missional community? Have you begun to identify that yet? In, in our missional communities, every missional community takes, it takes a season, usually around this time of year, and we go back through identity. You know, we look at, we're, we're family of missionary servants and disciples, right, who make disciples, those four things. And we look through these cultural rhythms. I know you guys look at these things very similarly. And we go like, how are we, who are we going to be missionaries to? What's that look like this year? And what's it look like to serve people? And we're a family, so that's how we want to be family. And we work out a covenant that's very much unique to our missional community. Each one makes their own. And it is specific, though, very clear, who we're making disciples of in which context. I want to encourage you to do that. God did that with his own son. We are now that body. Let me give you some examples of stuff we did. I'll give you, I'll give you one at first we did that was... Like, well, many of these early on that were like not so great, not so clarified. We had missional communities that would say things like, we've identified our mission. Our mission is Grant Elementary School. And so we're over there and we're raking up because, you know, their budgets are shot. They don't have any money. So we're raking and we're scrubbing off graffiti and, you know, we're painting like swing sets and stuff like that and trimming the bushes and all. And that's our mission. And 
What's the mission of the church? Make disciples. You can't make disciples of a bush or a swing set. <laughs> ah, but you can make disciples of the parents and students that go to Grant. Or you could make disciples of faculty at Grant. That's who, we're, that's who our people are. Some of, some of our folks in our mission community, they're teachers. That's an in. We're serving them. We're taking them gifts. We're praying for those teachers. Like We're building relationships. We're at the games. We're still doing the cleaning up because we want to bless them. We want to show God's heart of blessing and generosity and restoration. But people are the mission. We had a missional community for years that we were in back in Tacoma where we literally said it's from, it's from Sprague to MLK and 6th to 12th, and it's all the single moms and their kids in that little grid, just a few blocks. And that's who we were on mission to. That's who we were making disciples among. Which means we started to radically reorient our lives, our schedules, our time around the rhythms they lived in. How do they eat? Where do they eat? What do they need? What are they, what's their stories? When's their birthdays? What's, do they have cars? Do they need help filling out forms? Do they need education to get into new jobs? Do they need babysitting? I mean, it just we had to get into all of their lives. We have groups that are to, to college kids. We have groups that are just, here's my neighbors. We're just going after neighbors. Some of the missional communities identify a network of relationships that they're going to make disciples of. That's harder, I'll just tell you. If you say, like, well, I got a few friends, and I got a few friends, and I got a few friends, and you're all spread out all over the county, pretty tough. Because remember, part of your identity is your family. How do you live like a family when you're all over the place? Tougher. You can do it. My kids live in four, three different cities right now. We live in a fourth. We're still a family. It's really hard. It takes a new level of intentionality. You can do it. But either way, identify who they are. Identify who they are. Who are you making disciples amongst? Now, I want to pray for you in a second. There are a couple things to think through. What's happening in our hearts when this sort of old self-made identity battles with the new identity that's really true of us? I give some, suggest some suggestions. Sometimes it's because we sort of fall back into old habits. We just sort of have the habit of self, the habit of sin. We've lived it so long, maybe even as Christians, we didn't really know and believe our identity that we're really good at the do equals be. Pray and ask the Spirit to root that out of you. To root out of you the do equals be and the old habits of self-made identity. In some cases, He might call you to lay down things you do because you trust in them too much for your facade, for your identity, so that you can actually begin to embrace and savor the true identity you've been given. Sometimes we've just been ignorant of the truth and we need to have our mind renewed. Maybe that's part of what's going on today. Maybe God is renewing our minds Reminding us of the truth. For some of us, we've never thought about it this way today, till today. Praise God then. Believe the truth of this amazing inheritance of yours. And, and ask the Spirit to start turning over the soil where there's unbelief. You know, I love that verse where it says, like, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe what you said, but help me with my unbelief. Romans 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your doing will be very different if you start letting the being of your identity be transformed in your mind and heart. You will start to live out what looks like a missionary lifestyle if you believe you are one. The implications will flow. They'll follow. 
But most often, we're just moving along in life out of our own strength, and we're sort of trusting in self or time to change things. And many of us, unfortunately, will leave here today and go like, wow, that was pretty good. That guy's kind of funny and quirky looking. and That was pretty good. you know." And we'll just sort of trust that somehow magically, metamorphically, I guess we'll start doing something different or Pastor Jay will tell us what to do. You know, there again, I want to ask you, and I'm going to do this now. I'm going to ask you this. Let the Spirit guide us. Let the Spirit guide you into a full and deep belief of who you are as a missionary, what your identity is, your birthright, that we get to be the people of God that extend His love and grace and mercy as we make disciples of Jesus that fill this colony, that fill this world with His glory. Let that be true of us. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's almost too good to believe that sinners like us, people that have completely chosen self apart from You over and over and over, have been made new and been given Your identity named by you and then sent into the world as plan A to proclaim you and display what you're like. It's just mind-blowing. And yet it is true, Lord. And if we believe, if we can believe that sin could be forgiven, then we certainly have to believe that identity can be changed, that we've been made new by your word. Lord, you said that we're to live by the Spirit and not gratify the sinful desires of our sinful nature. What you meant by that, Lord, was that We're not to just keep going the way of the world and keep gratifying ourselves by what we do, but be transformed. Lord, my my mind and my patterns are so contrary to Your Spirit at times. And Your Word says that it will be. So I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that You would release us from that, that by Your Spirit, You say You are the reminder. Would You remind us of what's true of us often? And would You allow us to remind each other with grace and truth of our true identity. And when we see each other not living in light of the truth, we get to speak it. Lord, give us the grace. Give this body of cultivate the grace to speak the truth and love, to remind each other of their true identity, that we might live out of that. Who we are would lead to a life that glorifies you. Lord, I thank you, and I, I pray that, that truth spoken today would take root and things that weren't true would fly away. In your name, Jesus, amen.